Whether you're a first-time poultry owner or looking to expand your flock, you can always use some helpful advice. Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered. With great info and products to help raise healthy birds in-store or online at farmandfleet.com forward slash chick days. Yeah, so dairy farmers, uh, you know, face a lot of challenges in in agriculture, you know, and we think about things like nutrient management that are becoming a a deal, added animals and land pressure for acres with development or just the cost of land. And so we really need to get more out of every acre and we need to be able to utilize our manure uh, in a more profitable way. And so what a lot of farmers have done is have moved on from things like alfalfa, which, which doesn't handle manure or utilize manure very well and ties up land for a lot of years and have moved into more aggressive rotations with multi-species annual type mixes. Those mixes accomplish two things. One, they, they help with nutrient management and soil health. You know, we've heard a lot about that, of how that's beneficial. But two, they allow us to grow lots of tons of really highly digestible forage. And one of the big shifts that, that we've seen in dairy rations and, and making dairy rations over the last maybe 20 years is the inclusion of byproducts things like corn gluten or soy hulls or cottonseed. And those were all really economical, really good digestible fiber sources. But what's happened now more recently is the cost of those has gone up dramatically. A lot of that has to do with transportation costs, availability issues. And and just now that more farmers are using them, there's a lot of demand for them. And so we're coming back to forages that can replace those things in a diet and really cut down a purchase feed cost. So obviously multi-species means more than one species. But tell me the difference between what a simple multi-species mix might look like versus a more complex version. So something that would be simple would it could be as much as even two varieties of the same species. So we, we recognize there's a value in diversity, both above ground and below ground, feeding off of maybe different uh, areas in the soil profile for root development. And above ground, there's a, usually a benefit in, in canopy and, and sunlight retention and things. So on the very basic could be maybe two different varieties of the same species, like a brachytic dwarf, BMR sorghum sedan, and a non-brachytic dwarf. Getting more complex would be maybe adding another warm season annual, like a BMR millet to that mix. They're all basically managed the same. They're planted the same time. They bring different things to the table. The next layer to that is bringing in other species, as in like maybe a legume. So you could bring in an annual legume, like a bursine clover or hairy vetch. And then what a lot of farms have done, especially in the upper Midwest, where we have a, a more diversity in our weather, so cooler weather in the spring and fall, not quite as extreme heat in the summer, is we're actually including cool seasons like uh, Italian ryegrass or something that maybe doesn't do that great through the middle of the summer, but it helps to, to fill out our growing shoulders or the shoulders of the growing season in uh, early summer and late fall. Out of curiosity, what are some of the farmers in the more drought prone areas of the country planting for forage? Probably the most popular thing right now is either from a single cut situation, so would be photoperiod sensitive uh, BMR sorghum sedan. And photoperiod just means that it, it matures based on the hours of daylight, not on the not on the physiological time frame. And so it, it won't go reproductive till we have less than about 12 hours and 20 minutes of daylight. Sorghum grain is very poor quality. Uh, the starch is very, uh, has a very low usability, passes through the animals. And so by having forages that stay that stay vegetative,
quantitative. We're able to keep those carbohydrates in a sugar form versus a starch and make them very available. So that's been very successful in, in low water availability areas. A lot of my clients in you know Western Texas and in Colorado and Kansas and Idaho even, areas where we just are very limited in water, we've moved a lot of corn acres uh, to that crop to try to grow just tons of digestible fiber without a lot of water. Dan, I follow you on Facebook and I've learned a lot from you over the years. I would say that you're a little bit of a forage geek to the point where you have your own plots where you're doing research and then feeding your cows from those plots, correct? So we have three dairy farms that I'm involved with in, in northeastern Wisconsin. But you know, right now I'm working with about 800,000 cows in 26 states doing consulting type work. And yeah, so we do research, of course, at home, both feeding trials with with the cows on the nutrition side, but also you know field trials with hundreds or thousands of things a year. But we have other locations in you know Kansas and Indiana, and New York, and other areas. You know, the, the challenge that I do is you know, of course, cows are the same everywhere, but forages and weather and soil and water and all those things are different. And so trying to find stuff that that's consistently works in different geographical areas is uh, is probably one of the more challenging and, and exciting things that I do. We are talking about these multi-species varieties as forage, but talk to me about using them as a cover crop. You know, there's a lot of winter covers. When we think of cover crops, or generally we're talking about stuff that would cover the ground in times when normally there wouldn't. So maybe something following corn crop. There are normally you might have bare dirt over winter. We have a cover crop. And the main benefit of cover crops is that it's building soil both through or increased organic matter, but also through just root exudates that feeds the soil microbes, which in turn feed things like earthworms. And, and so we understand that, that soil quality and health is, is very important. So cover crops can do that. The problem with just cover crops is it's an expense. I mean, they, they, they cost money to plant. The seed is very expensive or can be. If we can plant species and, and varieties that also can provide a forage source, well, all of a sudden it becomes an asset and it really reduces that, that it turns that expense into an asset and to some very high quality forage. So yeah, I've been focused on, on trying to accomplish both things at the same time. And it makes the budgets on our cropping systems work a lot easier. So talk to me about seed availability. How are we looking this fall and going into spring? That has been a challenge. The last few years, it's been a little hit and miss. A lot of the grass seed is grown in the northwest and they've had a pretty severe drought. So a lot of that supply of perennial grass seed and annual ryegrass seed that's grown out in the Pacific Northwest was unavailable or there was some crop failures. What that forced us to do was import a lot of seed and that came from Europe, uh, some from New Zealand, other areas, a lot of Eastern European production, uh, which is also, in a, <laughs> you know, there's something going on over there too. The good news is, is that, that transportation costs are dramatically being reduced uh, from overseas shipments. So shipping container cost uh, is uh, way less. Domestic transportation has not came down yet though. So, so that's a challenge. Things that are going to be the hardest hit are like long-term perennial like grasses. Those take a long time to get established before you have viable seeds. So when you have a crop failure, you can't just make it up the next year. Things that have quicker turnarounds like Italian ryegrass or BMR sorghum sedan, things that we can, you know, go to South America and grow if we need them. Uh, those are going to be just fine. I think we're, we're seeing a, an improvement already in availability there. Corn seed, there were some events in areas uh, that struggled. And as a whole, I think there's plenty of corn seed in the industry. 
industry, but specific varieties. There, You may see holes in your company's lineup this year uh, because of wherever they were growing it, uh, they missed a pollination or a timing thing. And, and we're starting to see that in some of the corn lineups. You mentioned rye, and I know that on our farm, that is one crop that we kind of love to hate. It makes such great feed for what we need it for, but it's always ready for a very short, perfect window in the middle of first crop hay. Are there any good alternatives out there? Maybe something a little more forgiving? You know, the challenge with cereal rye is it matures very quickly. You know, it can be made for dairy quality feed, but, you know, it has about a 15-minute harvest window. And so I'd like to tell guys, well, you better have your mower hooked up ahead of time because if you have to go hook it up, you might miss it. And that's, you know, that's the challenging and frustrating part about cereal rye. So, yes, especially if it's focused on dairy rations, we're feeding either, you know, a lot of winter triticale is getting planted. Uh, winter triticale is a hybrid between uh, winter wheat and cereal rye. And having that wheat parentage in there not only increases the quality and the yield potential, but it also extends the harvest window out quite a bit. In areas farther south or where I can get them planted earlier, I'm putting annual rye grass as certain varieties that are winter hardy with the triticale. And that even gives us another quality bump and extends our harvest window even farther. But cereal rye, unless it's targeted for heifers or if we don't get it, have the ability to get it planted until very late, I just... I just to soon not plant it. Thanks, Dan, for giving us some things to think about with forages and cover crop options. For the Midwest Farm Report, this is Kerry Mess. 